but it's good to see you this morning and uh, glad you're here and I'm glad to be here myself and uh, sorry about a minute or two behind here but uh, if y'all will listen a little bit faster we'll still get done on time so it's your fault if we don't right um, let me just say as I'm catching my breath um, we have a, a great opportunity coming up next Sunday where we have Easter Sunday and uh, people will come to church on that Sunday like they will no other time of the year. And so um, we have a lot of the different things that you can do to help invite your friends. One of them, it says, I love Cross Life Church bumper sticker. And uh, we have yard signs as well. But um, man, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just had uh, maybe 2,000 cars that had this and every, every time somebody stopped at a light, they saw something on the back of the car like this. We, we know for certain because of the new members class um, that we've had people to come here to church and to join our fellowship because they saw these all over town and they were wondering well, what's going on here. And so they checked it out. Now I know that uh, some of you say, well, I just don't like putting anything on my car. You know, I, I don't like that um, method of evangelism. Well, what kind of method do you like? How's it going for you? You know, let's use everyone we can, right? And uh, uh, I know that people can visit other churches as well. There's some good churches in the area, I know, but uh, they'll preach the gospel. But some people, some churches won't, and so we will. Next week, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what a great opportunity to bring your friends and to make sure they get under the teaching of God's Word. And so I'm going to challenge you to do this, pick up some stuff on the way out, and let's just really saturate the, uh, the neighborhood with that. Let's take our Bibles this morning. We want to turn to one of the most uh, popular passages in the Bible, popular verses. It's in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. It says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. As we look, this is called, look at this verse, it's called the golden rule. And one of the reasons it's called the golden rule is because it's so valuable. In fact, if you obey this and you go by this as a way of life, you could change your world. And if people around you did that, we would change Oviedo. And if, if people around the world would obey this command, then the whole world would be totally different. And we're going to find out why in just a few minutes. But as we look at this, we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. As we're looking at the relationship principles of Jesus... And this really, uh, really captures everything uh, about the entire Sermon on the Mount and what it's all about. Treating others the way you want them to treat you. Now, there are many places in literature that have a golden rule type thing. Uh, Jewish literature says, what is hateful to yourself, to no man do. Greek philosophy would say, what you avoid suffering yourself, do not inflict on others. So often, it's done kind of with a negative context. Don't do this. And so you don't like it, so don't do it to somebody else. This is more and much more of a positive light as Jesus looks and says, look, how you want to be treated, you treat other people that way. Now, does that mean that you throw out all the rules? I mean, that's what it sounds like maybe if you just take the, the verse out of context. Just throw out all the rules and just love one another and you'll be okay. Is that what it's really saying? So we're going to ask ourselves a couple of things. First of all, what does this verse mean? Secondly, how in the world do you do it? And then thirdly, got an important question at the end for God to ask all of us. 
All right, number one, what is the meaning? Well, just to give a little background here, in the last few verses, the last few ver words of this verse, it says, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, this reminds me of something. Reminds me of something we preached about a couple weeks ago, and that is the great, the two great commandments. Remember the lawyer, Matthew chapter 22. And, you know, it's amazing how all this kind of dovetails together because really the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like an index or almost a table of contents to the rest of the New Testament because everything that's really addressed in uh, this sermon is somehow addressed in the rest of the New Testament as well. And so we look at this in Matthew 22. Um, a lot of people were trying to stump Jesus, trying to ask him questions that uh, he wouldn't know. And finally one lawyer came out and he really asked a pertinent question, one that he really wanted an answer for because they were discussing this a lot. He says, what is the greatest commandment? Over 600 commandments in the Bible or in the New Old Testament, what is the greatest? What can I do first and foremost to please God? That's what he was asking. And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And with these two is the whole law and the prophets. And so it's really a commentary on what he is saying here <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. And so notice when Jesus quoted that to the lawyer, he was really using two basic passages in the Bible. And, and they're important to know, it's important to know this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, when the um, Israelites were about to go into the promised land, God was going to review the law with them. And as reviewing the law, this is how he started. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Then he says in Leviticus 19, when they're already in the wilderness, he says this, you shall love your neighbor, <coughs> excuse me, as yourself. I am the Lord. He says all the law can be summed up in these two verses. It doesn't mean that you throw out the rules and just love one another. What he's saying is this. Look, there's ten commandments, the big ones, ten big laws. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the last six have to do with our relationship with one another. And he's, and he's looking at this and, and saying to us about the rules, Paul says it this, this way, and it, it really, really says it all. He says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And what Jesus is saying is that, that love fulfills the law. In other words, if you love someone, you're not going to want to commit adultery against them. If you love someone, you're not going to kill them. If you love someone, you're not going to lie to them. You're not going to gossip about them. You're not going to look down on them. You're going to try to help them in every way you can. In fact, Jesus said what you're going to do is treat other people the way you yourself want to be treated. And so it's not that you're throwing out the rules. It's just that you don't necessarily need to look at the rules every day because you're going to fulfill the rules because you love the person next to you. You love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's the problem? The problem is, is that we're really kind of self-centered. We're you know, self-concern. In fact, uh, I have a, I have a little coin on me here, a quarter, and it's used uh, at football games. You know, to, to flip sporting events, uh, to flip heads or tails, and it's sometimes used to spin. If you can uh, ever find anything still worth a quarter, and um, and and so it's got a heads and a tails on it. And this is, reminds me of what sin's all about: selfishness on one side and pride on the other. That's 
That's really what sin is all about. And so I'm selfish. I want to be treated in a certain way. And yet I'm kind of prideful in that and I know I need to do other things for you, like forgive and things like that, but I'm, I'm too filled with pride to do that kind of thing. And so we wrestle with these things, and we say, well, how in the world? Well, well, Pastor, look, I think that I can do a pretty good job of this. Well, let's look at some of the verses here that Jesus has already talked about in our relationships. He says in uh, chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Hey, I can do that one, right? But he says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow, that's a little tougher, isn't it? Really hard. And look in chapter 6, verse 13. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Wow, you, you mean I have to forgive somebody? Pastor, you don't know how I've been offended. You don't know about my enemies. I mean, they, it's just an enemy that just keeps on giving and over and over and over again. You don't know what's been done to me in my childhood and here and here and here and there. And you just don't know how, how in the world could I possibly forgive these people? Well, in yourself, it's going to be very, very difficult. In fact, I would say kind of impossible. That's the reason why Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength first because that is dependent upon that has to be done, rather, as a foundational principle to doing the rest of it, to loving your neighbor as yourself. And so as we look at this, we ask ourselves then the question, how? How can we do that? How can we envelop, you might say, come out of our own skin and take our skin and wrap it around someone else that we can understand their soul, their heart, and understand where they're coming from, that we can really forgive them, love them, treat them the way they ought to be treated. Well, I want us to look back a little bit in chapter 7 because in, in verses 7 through 11, we find how all this passage kind of ties in together. He says in verse 12, in everything, therefore. Now, what is therefore? Therefore. Well, it's there, some people say, because of the entire Sermon on the Mount. I think it really begins primarily in chapter 7, verse 1, when it says, says don't judge lest you be judged because now he's coming down and naming things right after the other of things what we need to do in our relationships and so he's saying this and now in verse 7 he's saying this asking it shall be given to you seeking you shall find knocking it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives he who seeks finds to him who knocks it shall be open he's talking here that god is going to provide for you in prayer now, if you know the will of God in your prayer life, you know what to ask for, ask for it, and you shall receive. If you don't know what God's will is, then you seek for God's will in your life so you can pray for it. If you know what God's will is and you're asking for it and it's still not coming about, and the Bible says we need to persevere in prayer, we just keep on, we just keep on knocking until we receive it. But he's saying to us, look, I'm going to provide for you. Now look in verse 9. He says, Or what man among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you what is good to those who ask him? He's saying, look, God's going to provide for you. God's going to provide. What else has he provided? He's provided a way for us to put the Sermon on the Mount in perspective and also into practice in our life through his power 
in our life. Paul says it best when he says the source of our love is God himself. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Very simply, when you and I receive Christ into our heart, we receive him into our heart, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in and, and gives us the love of God, and we spread it toward everyone else because it's in us. It's something God has planted a new heart within us, a new love within us. Many of you have heard the story perhaps about Corey Ten Boom um, in this book, the book and also the movie The Hiding Place. came out years and years, years ago. But Corey Ten Boom was a prisoner of war in World War II. Her and her sister were arrested, really the rest of her family as well, and put into concentration camps for helping the Jewish people. And so they were in the concentration camp, and she said that they go into showers, and they'd have to be naked, and the, and the uh, officers would uh, uh, just uh, embarrass them, humiliate them in every way. They, they would be beaten. They would be starved. In fact, her sister, Betsy, didn't make it, but she did. And then after the war, she began to tell her story all over the world. The story of the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ forgiving and how we can forgive too. And right after one of those talks, a man came up to her and said, Fraulein, God's forgiveness is truly wonderful. And he stuck out his hand. And when he looked up at her, he, she recognized him as being one of the SS officers that had cru so cruelly treated her and her sister, had been involved in her sister's death. And she said, I thought I'd forgiven. I've been preaching about, teaching about this all over the world. I've been writing about it all over the world. I thought I'd forgiven, but I realized in that moment I had not forgiven him. And I refused to raise my hand. And then I began to pray. I said, God, I, I cannot forgive this person. I have not forgiven this person. God, please help me. Help me forgive them. She said her, she found her hand almost like it was in the control of God himself being raised up, and she took him by the hand, and she said, yes, God is so good. Forgiveness. That couldn't happen without the love of God in her heart. It can't, you know, he said, well, I just can't forgive. I just can't, I can't do what I want to do. I can't not mistreat this person and this person because of the way I'm treated, and I'm just getting back a little bit, giving back what I've been given. I can't, how can I do this? You can't. I don't, you, don't, you don't need to get over guilty within yourself because you cannot do that without the love of God in you. And the problem is, is that we have, as I've said so many times, something else on the throne. We, we forget God. Now listen very carefully. Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Now he's saying here, this is called in the Jewish uh, uh, literature, the Shema. And the Shema is something that Jewish people quote. In fact, it's the most quoted passage in the entire Bible because it talks and it talks about spreading um, or sharing the, the message of the, uh, uh, the law and all, everything to your kids, passing the faith down to the next generation, basically. And so it's saying, look, you're going to come into a land flowing with milk and honey and you need to teach them. You need to write these laws on the doorpost of your house. Everywhere you go, we, we need, you need to see these everywhere. Your children need to know it. Because he says, I tell you what's going to happen. Later in that chapter, he says, I tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go into a land flowing with milk and honey, and you're going to forget me. You're going to forget God. 
Excuse me. In other words, you're going to go in and you're going to have the crops. You're going to have the blessings. The sheep are going to be there. The cattle are going to be there. The children are going to come along. And you think, what am I going to do? I've got all this going on. And other things will come between me and you. And you're going to forget me. You're going to forget God. And we find out that's exactly what happened in the nation of Israel. It happened in the nation of Israel, and that's why we see the judgment of God coming from other nations upon the nation of Israel over and over and over again in the Old Testament because they kept forgetting God. They put something else on the throne. They had the blessings of God in their life, and the more blessings that they had in their life, the more they were inclined to worship them instead of something else, instead of God. And so we come along, and uh, maybe you come out of a a difficult background and the next thing you know you're being blessed wow you got this great career you, you've got uh, all these promotions going on in your life you have children you've got little league going on you got basketball going on you've got to go to this game this game and, and these soccer games on Sunday and you got to go over here and over there and then your you know your job calls you out of town so many times on the on Sunday and you forget God you know during the recession I really expected and if you were to look back on history, you would expect it yourself, that when the recession happened and our needs became so paramount and we realized the rains were no longer coming, the typical farmer back in the day would pray and pray and ask God, oh God, I'm putting this seed in the ground for the last time. God, would the rains come? God, I'm depending on you. God, for forgive me for not depending on you in the past. I'm depending on you now, but us in America and really probably across the world, instead of becoming more more soft to God, sometimes we became more bitter because we say, God, you know, look what you've given me, and now you're taking it away. I met a couple that <clears throat> I was talking to in a bookstore, and, and the lady wouldn't even speak to me. And the man just was very friendly, and he talked to me a little bit, but he said, yeah, I made some bad decisions before the recession. We lost everything we had, and now we just feel like God has abandoned us. What happened? Something else was on the throne. Something else was there. We, we forgot God. And this was the problem with the nation of Israel. So what do we do? Dear friends, we have to humble ourselves before God and ask forgiveness. And we need to put God back on the throne of our life. We need to have a humility about us. For example, somebody says, well, I've been really offended here. I've been really offended and I just can't, I can't forgive them. Well, the problem is and I've discovered this in my life, other people's lives as well, the problem is I own my life. I own it. And so when you offend me, you offend me. But if God is on the throne of my life, then my life is not my own. And so when you talk about me, when you offend me in some way, it's easier to forgive you because, well, you didn't really do it to me, you did it to God because my life's not my own. My life belongs to God. And my problem is, and unforgiveness sometimes is I just simply own it. I own it. You, maybe you own your business. Maybe you own your career. And when things don't go well, you just own it. It just doesn't belong to God. You humble yourself before God and say, God, my life's not my own. And then you spend time with God because his presence is going to cure you of the selfishness in our lives. It's going to cure us of that as we consistently spend time with the Lord. So where does all this come from? It comes from God. It doesn't come from us. We can't muster it up. 
We have to depend on the Lord. And so the question comes up then lastly this morning, how do you want to be treated? I mean, don't you think that's a legitimate question? I mean, if God says treat other people the way you want to be treated, the question is, how do you want to be treated? Well, I just want to do, get a little practical here at the end of the message and the end of the series and list five, six things to you that I feel like all of us, how we want to be treated. I, I got these from some, some psychologists and also John Maxwell and threw in a couple of things myself. And so let's look at them. First of all, you want to be appreciated. William James has said the deepest craving in human nature is the craving to be appreciated. Remember the story of the ten lepers in the Bible where ten were saved and only, I mean, ten were healed and only one came back to thank the Lord? All of us want to be thanked. As a matter of fact, uh, I think Andy Stanley is the one that brought this out first. It's like a, a circle. You know, you do something for somebody, and what do you expect when you do something from somebody? What do you expect them to say? Anybody know? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You expect a thank you. And if you don't get it, you're a little, you're a little bit upset about it. I mean, a lot of you are not like me, but I've, I've been a smart aleck many times in my life. And some, sometimes I do something for somebody, somebody's walking away, and I'll just say, well, you're welcome. You ever done that? It's, it's amazing. That I have been beat up a lot. But anyway, you say, you're welcome. If somebody pulls out in front of you in the traffic and, and they, they ask you to, if they could get in, you, you let them pull out, what do you expect? A wave. Man, if I don't get my wave, I'm, I'm a little upset about it. I expect my wave. Why? Because you do something, you expect a thank you. Now, after the thank you, what do you expect? You're welcome. You see, it's like a circular thing going on. I, I want to be appreciated for what I did, and then I want to thank you for appreciating me. You're welcome. And so we all want to feel like we're being thanked for things. In fact, parents were surveyed years back and they said the number one thing they want from their children for their children is happiness the number two thing was gratitude don't you think that's true don't you think so that's why your parents said to you oh, when I was your age and we loved hearing about the good old days right we just love that and we said I'll never do that to my kids but then you come back and say, say to your kids Oh, when I was your age, and I walked uphill uh, to school both ways, you know, snow in Miami, it was horrible, you know, was that? And because you want to, you know, I eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and now you want to go to McDonald's or whatever. I mean, you, you always throw something in there. Why? Because your kids aren't grateful. They're just not grateful, and you want them to be grateful. And so you want to be appreciated. And by the way, you don't want to be appreciated just for flattery's sake. The Bible speaks against that. But many of us, in fact, all of us here, do something we think is significant. But we're not sure how significant. And we want to be affirmed in that. We want to be appreciated for what we really are doing. You want to be, so what do you do? You appreciate others. Secondly, you want to be understood. You want people to understand you. You want to, you know, the, the couple, that, the man that says, oh, I, I love this woman because she really gets me. She understands me. You, remember the story about the subway um, where the, the man was on the subway and his kids were cutting up and just running all over the subway and he had to apologize. He said, my wife just passed away. Their mother just died in the hospital. We're on our way home. Then everybody on the subway understood. Everybody here comes from a different background. 
You're going through different things. And that's why I go all the way back to chapter 7, verse 1. Don't, don't judge other people. Don't be a judgment of them. Don't pass a sentence upon them. Don't slander them, gossip about them because, well, first of all, that's sin. But secondly, you don't understand where they're coming from. Remember what Jesus said to the, the woman that was caught in adultery? Those who have not cast, who have never sinned, let them cast the first stone. Well, we want people to encourage us. Not only appreciate and understand us, but we want encouragement. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this, who comforts us in all afflictions so that we are able to comfort those who are, who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now look, it says you're going to be comforted, you're going to be encouraged by God. Now you turn around and you encourage or comfort one another. This is the same word where it's called, it means to call alongside of. The Holy Spirit is our parakletos, the one called alongside of us. The King James Version would say the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Others say he is our encourager. Other versions say he is our encourager. Same idea. We're to encourage one another as the Holy Spirit of God has encouraged us. And all of us get discouraged. All of us have career setbacks, family setbacks, financial setbacks. Sometimes we're just tired. Our kids are running us all over the world. We're tired. We're overwhelmed. We need some encouragement. In his book, James Cooksis uh, writes that uh, he did a survey, business survey, of those who felt like they needed encouragement on the job, and 60% of them said they needed it. Well, that's not what he thought. It didn't come out the way he wanted it to. So he re rephrased the question. And, and the question was, how many of you would say that you would do a better job if you were encouraged? 98% of them said they would. 98%. But yet only 38% ever thought they, they got much of encouragement at all. And 44% said they never got encouraged. All of us need that. I, I love the, the, the kid that was bowling and he was trying to get the ball down the alley. And um, I guess he didn't have bumpers because things kept going in the gutter. And finally he hit a couple of pins. And everybody was jumping up and down, yay, yay, way to go, way to go. And he strutted back and said, I used to really stink at bowling. <laughs> or the little boy that says, look, Dad, let's play darts. I'll throw the darts, I'll hit the dart bar, dartboard, and you say, wonderful. People want to be encouraged. You take your kids, your grandkids, and you start clapping for them. Oh, some activity they did. They may not even like the activity. They never want to do it again. But because you clap, they just keep doing it. All of us want the encouragement. All of us want the approval. But then we want to be forgiven. One of the greatest gifts we can give anybody is just simply forgiveness. Peter said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times, as was the custom. He said, no, Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Unlimited. Just keep on forgiving. Keep on. Forgiveness. As you want God to forgive you, and he has, you forgive others. One of the things about forgiveness, if we're not forgiving others as a habit in our life, it proves that we have never embraced the grace of God ourselves. Parable after parable that Jesus taught, taught about that. A man going out and saying, you know, uh, I owe you this much money, oh master, but I'll repay you. Please don't throw me, don't throw me into slavery. Please don't put my family into slavery. So the master says, okay, I, I forgive you. Go, go ahead. I'll give you time. He goes out. And the man comes across somebody that owes him money, a lot less money, a lot, lot, lot less. 
and he grabs him by the shirt. He says, you don't repay me, I'm going to throw you in jail. And he does throw him in jail. The first master hears about it and ends up throwing the other man in jail. And the moral to the story is, look, this man experienced a lot of grace. And put it in money terms, millions, tens of millions of dollars worth of forgiveness and grace. Well, this man would not forgive this other man for only a few bucks. He says, you haven't understood the grace of God. Do you understand it today? Have you embraced it? Have you invited Christ into your life? We talk about Corey Tim Boom, but there's another man that wrote a book, or I should say a short story, Sunflower by Simon, I think pronounced his name, Weisenthal. And he wrote this story about a man who uh, has an accident. He's laying on the ground, and a man hovers over him, and he, he grabs his hand, and he knows he's dying, and he says, I must, I must talk to a Jew. I must talk to a Jewish man. And he says, well, I'm a Jewish man. He said, back during World War II, my friends and my, my comrades and I burned down a Jewish home. And when the family ran out, we shot them dead. And I've never been able to live myself. Please forgive me. I need someone to forgive me. Please forgive me. The Jewish man pulled his hand away from the man and walked off. I'll never forgive that man. The man dies without any forgiveness at all. And when surveyed, 32 people, some Gentiles, some Jews, out of the 32, a majority of them said the man made the right decision. Not only that, but that man who burned down the house and shot those people deserved to go to hell. Judgment. But yet, we have another example, again, of Corey Tin Boom, who reaches up with her hand with the power of God. Yes, God is good. Now, what about us? Are you just tired sometimes? You remember that, uh, that movie, Help? Anybody have seen that the movie, Help? And it was, it was a great movie. And at one point, one of the maids who was accused of something she didn't do because this uh, white lady just wanted to throw her in jail, comes up to him and says, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of carrying that burden around? Aren't you tired of, of the hate? Aren't you tired of the unforgiveness? Aren't you tired of it? Aren't you tired of just not forgiving? Are, are you tired of just not letting it go? I'm not saying trust the person again. Trust is some of the future. Forgiveness is of the past. Forgiveness has to do with the past, however. Do you still want to carry that around with you the rest of your life? Knowing the bitterness is going to defile you and many? Let it go. Let it go. Because it, if it happened not to you, but it happened to Christ, if you're putting that on Christ and your life is not your own, then let Jesus take care of it. Lastly, we want to be helped. We do. We, we want to be helped. And we can be helped in so many different ways. And I, let me just give you an example of one that's most important. You know, we live in a culture today. I, I know we don't live in a front porch mentality culture anymore where everybody's rocking on the front porch waiting for the neighbors to come by and say hello. You know, you don't even remember those days, do you? First church I pastored, that's the way... It was. I mean, I lived out in the country, people rocking on the front porch. I could walk up there anytime and talk to them. Now we have a back porch culture where people want to get cocooned in their own home and not have anybody knock on their door. I don't like, I mean, 
I don't like anybody knocking on my door. And that's, that's the, the, the phrase that we think about as pastors. Well, if I don't like it, somebody else is not going to like it, so I'm not going to do it. But you know, I wonder if I knew that I was lost and I knew the other person on the other side of the door had the answer to my life, I think that I would want them to interrupt my life. I'm just saying. One last story. Richard Sim uh, Robert Simmons, excuse me, Roger Simmons, um, got released from military May 7th. And he was hitchhiking on his way home. And no car was picking him up. He just kept thumbing, thumbing. Nobody was pulling off. Finally, about ready to give up, this nice new Cadillac pulls over. He gets in, and the guy says, hey, where are you going? And he told him, and he says, well, I'm going to Chicago. I'll drop you off on the way. So he got in the car. They were going to drive a couple of hours. They got to know one another. Mr. Hamilton, who was driving the car, was a very wealthy man, owned a very large business in Chicago. And um, he even told him, he says, here's my car. Do you ever in Chicago? Just look me up. And so about that time, Roger was thinking, wow, I need to share Christ with this guy. I'm so afraid to do it. I'm so intimidated. He said, I mean, he's a rich guy and all, and I just don't know. But about 30 minutes out, he says, well, God, now or never. And he began to share Christ with the man. And before they got to his destination, he pulls off the side of the road. Mr. Hamilton, as the story is told, lays his head on the steering wheel and begins to sob as he prays to receive Christ into his heart. Roger got out of the car. He went home. Five years later, he already had a child, and it was time for him to take a trip. Guess where? Yes, Chicago. And he still had the card. You know, I'm going to look up Mr. Hamilton. I'm going to see how he's doing. So he goes into this big building, and he goes to the receptionist. Elevators, you know, it's a big building. Elevators right behind it. And he says, I'm here to see Mr. Hamilton. They looked at him real funny. He said, well, What'd you hear about him? So we kind of told him a little bit about you know, his hitchhiking thing about five years ago. And he says, well, um, you can't talk to Mr. Hamilton, but Mrs. Hamilton is here, and she'd love to talk to you, I'm sure. And so he goes up to the top floor. Mrs. Hamilton is waiting there. And she says, well, tell me something about yourself, Roger. How did you know my husband? And she, he begins to tell the story about the hitchhiking. Got to know him a little bit. And she said, what day was that on? And he said, May 7th. I know that because that was the day that I was discharged from the service. He said, well, anything unusual happened on that day? And so he hesitated and he said, well, yes, ma'am. Um, I shared Christ with your husband. I shared what Jesus meant to my life and, and how he could invite Christ into his heart, get forgiveness of sin. I explained the whole thing to him. And uh, he pulled off the side of the road and he began to cry and he received Christ. And she just let out a big burst of emotion and began to cry. And he says, what's wrong? Where's, where is Mr. Hamilton anyway? And she said, he's not here, he's dead. He died on May 7th. Evidently, after he dropped you off, he went down the road, and there he was in a car accident and died. And she said, the last five years, I've been bitter against God because I've been praying. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for my husband to be saved. And I felt like he died without Christ. And this was the first day I knew that my prayers had been answered. So, dear friend, what about us? Wow. If we were to treat others the way we want to be treated, we could change the world. But certainly we could change our world.
and everything around us. So what about you today? I'm here, by the way, to help you. And if you've never received Christ into your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. So let's bow our heads. As we about ready to pray before the Lord, if you've never received Christ into your heart or you're not sure that if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven, you can be sure. The Bible says, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. He says, these things, the Bible, I wrote the Bible to you that you could be sure. Are you sure? If not, I want to invite you right now to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it silently if you'd like as I pray aloud. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. And I ask you to come in. I trust you as my Savior of my soul, the Lord of my life. I turn my life over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you look this way? This morning, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, I want you to take out this card. If you have not had the opportunity yet to fill it out in the front, we're going to give you an opportunity just for a few minutes, uh, a minute or so, before we take up the offering here in just a few minutes. But if you receive Christ into your heart, there's a place on the back, and it's shaded in uh, the green where it says, My decision today, I have decided to surrender my life to Christ. And so if you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to put a little check in that box and make sure it gets in the offering plate when it's passed. And that will be important as you communicate with us your decision to follow the Lord. And maybe this morning you're saying, well, I don't want to wait for a phone call or for a letter to give me some material. I want to get the material now. I want to start now. I want to tell somebody. I want some personal attention now. And I don't blame you. I would too. And I did when I received Christ. So we're going to have an invitation. Now, this invitation is just an opportunity for you opportunity for you that if you pray to receive Christ or you want to know more about him, I want you to come and talk to one of these guys right here. Put your hand in theirs and just say, I prayed that prayer with the pastor and we'll take it from there. We'll help you and we'll pray with you. Others that want to come to the altar and say, I want to begin to treat others the way I want to be treated. So as God reveals that to me and I'm sensitive to him, I want to turn around and treat others as well. There's someone here, you say, there's someone in my life I need to forgive. There's someone in my life that I need to love.